Well, good morning, campers. You've had coffee and sugar. Like if we ever did that at camp, do you know what chaos would ensue? Well, you're not very good at being at camp, that's okay. Hey, uh, it's a big day today because we are in summer camp, the series. And I think it's a huge day for a lot of reasons. It's week three of the series. So really that turning point where we hit it hard as we near the end, it's Father's Day. You've had donuts. We can see the sun, it is shining, it exists. There are birds chirping in the air. And as some of you know, Pastor Kurt can speak again. He can't shake your hand, but he can speak again. And we are so glad that he is back. And I'm so glad you're here. Hey, just something I've wondered as I've watched uh, Gary preach through the first two weeks of this series. How many of you have actually ever been to summer camp? Raise your hand if you've ever been to a summer. Yeah, so less in this group, maybe like, okay, good. Because I wanna try to maybe pull some things back in because if you've never been to summer camp, it may be kind of odd that you're like, well, I don't really understand this whole series. And I actually used to spend the summers preaching what we call the summer camp circuit, just traveling with a group, preaching to youth groups all summer long. And people used to say, like, do, do you really love that? Like, is that really that fun? I mean, at camp, you get no sleep, you stay up late, you get up early, you sleep in a cabin on a camp mattress, you eat camp food, you swim in a lake. Like, you love that? No, I do not love that. But what I loved was seeing students and what was amazing was how many times I would see an adult chaperone who came to lead camp end up giving their life to Christ. That's what I love. But today, whether you've been to camp or whether you just helped at VBS, a huge group, there's some principles today. VBS was a huge success. We averaged nearly 700 uh, at VBS. We saw 59 kids give their life to Christ at VBS, just unbelievable week. But whether you helped at VBS or even if you've just been on a mission trip or something like that, there is a general principle for all of those things that we're really gonna focus on today. And that is whether it's the first day of camp or when you get where you're going on a mission trip or even at VBS, there's a moment where they sit down and they say, hey, we're gonna go through the schedule or, or we're gonna go through the rules. And that's really why I love being in charge now because I get to stand before people and say things like, it's important that you're where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there, right? Or, or my favorite line that I, I never understood, people at every camp I ever went to, they would say, now camp will be more fun if you follow the rules. And one summer I decided to put that to the test. I conducted some field research on this. I was at youth camp with my friends we were supposed to be in Bible study, but we decided to bunker down in our dorm room and, uh, and hold this massive, no holds bar Texas Hold'em poker tournament using Oreos and goldfish as currency. It was amazing, okay? We are hunkered down, I'm feeling good. Y'all know my sweet tooth, I've eaten half my profit, but that's okay, like that's a win-win. We're like, the camp lied to us. We're, we are genius, we're the smartest people ever. This is way more fun. And as is often the case in those moments, there's like a knock on the door, you know? It was the sheriff student pastor. He had gotten word of the, the okay corral and he was not happy. And I learned a valuable lesson that day. Following the rules are more fun. 
but it doesn't matter today. What I think we, we would understand is that there is great value in following those things. But oftentimes when we're in a camp setting or we're in an event setting and we choose not to follow the rules, oftentimes we're doing it because we only see the micro level, right? We only see how that rule or that schedule impacts us. Even for VBS, right? We spent time looking at the schedule from a macro level. We spent time looking at where groups would enter a room and exit a room and how they would rotate through the property so that the kids wouldn't create gridlock or run into each other. We, we thought through it. And oftentimes when you're at an event and you choose not to follow the schedule or not to go with the rules, it's so often because we are so consumed with the micro detail of the moment. And what we forget is that there is someone who has viewed this thing from a much bigger picture because they know how it all works together. And so that's what we're gonna look at this morning is kind of following the camp schedule. I hope you have a copy of God's word and that you would open it to 1 John chapter 5, verse one. Because just as we would say it's important to go to camp and to follow the schedule, just as we would say it's important to go to camp and to follow the rules, I think we would agree it's important to live out our life in obedience to the commands of Christ. It's important to live in, in obedience to the things that he's called us to do, to be the person that he's called us to be. But I think very naturally that presents a question to us this morning to say, but how do we do that? How is it that we live in accordance to the commands of Christ? How is it that I faithfully live obedient to what God is calling me to do? Because here's the reality. When I was skipping Bible study, it wasn't because I didn't know where I was supposed to be. It's because I had rejected where I was supposed to be. And I think if you were to look in your life, if you were to look either personal at your own personal life, life as a whole, society as a whole, I think we look at the problems we face, the problems today, what we could probably point to by and large more times than not is it's not that we don't necessarily know what God is calling us to do, but as a people today and as a society today, so often what we have is we have a group that has rejected what God has called us to do. And so this is a significant piece here. And so let's look at verse one. Verse one starts out with whoever. That word in the Greek is everybody. So it's everybody that believes that, notice this phrase, Jesus is the Christ, that he is savior, that he is Messiah, that he is Lord of Lords, that he's not one of many, but he is the Christ. So everyone who believes that Jesus is the option, notice this, is then born of God. So here's the reality today. The summer camp theme is fun. It's fun to fit it here in this pocket following VBS, but before our youth will leave for youth camp in a couple weeks and just to have a little fun. I wanted some camp games that got cut. I wanted an ax throwing station too. You know, that got cut too, but that got axed. That's a dad joke. And so what we ultimately realize is though this is a very serious topic because here's what I want you to understand. John isn't speaking to lost people. John is speaking to followers of Christ. He's speaking to people who say, I know the truth of God's word. He's speaking to people who would say, I have a pretty good understanding of what God is calling me to do. I'm just not doing a very good job of doing it. And so this morning, that's what we're gonna look at. 
three pieces that build upon one another and one huge truth at the end to say, answering the question, how is it that I follow in obedience to the commands of Christ? How is it that I follow in obedience to the life that God has laid out for me? And so here's the first one. It starts by having a right belief. How do I follow in obedience to the things that God has called me to do? Well, listen, the first thing that happens is you have to understand what you believe and why you believe it. I wanna ask you this question this morning and I really would love for you to formulate some answer to yourself. If I were to say, who is Jesus? Would you formulate an answer to yourself? If I was to ask you, what do you believe? What is your belief this morning? What would your answer be? I really would like you to formulate something. Because my guess would be you would fall into a camp of people who would say, we so often hear Jesus saves. We so often hear Jesus heals, Jesus redeems, Jesus restores, Jesus puts back. But my question would be, do you truly believe that? Right, do you believe that God is capable of intervening in the affairs of the world today? Do you believe that God is capable of intervening in your life today? Do you believe that God is capable of entering into your situation and impacting your situation today? Do you believe that? Because you will never live in faithful obedience to the commands of Christ if he's just a character in a story. You will never live bought in in faithful obedience to Jesus if he's just a familiar song. You will never lay it down and live the life that he's calling you to live if he's just a ritual, routine, if he's nothing more than religion to you. You will never live in obedience to the commands of Christ if he's just that emergency level on the wall that you run to and you pull in case of emergency. You'll never live believing those things. You'll never live faithful and obedient to it. And I would just tell you, I think it's probably the hardest part about preaching camp. There is a huge challenge of preaching youth camp after youth camp after youth camp. It's a similar challenge that I face coaching at two Christian schools here, both here and across the street. It's the greatest challenge I faced for the last three plus years as I pastored a 145 year old church is that by and large, we know we're just not doing a very good job of doing we, we know the words, you're here this morning. You know the words. You, you know how the look of church, we know what we're supposed to say, we know the lingo, we know how we're supposed to fit in, most of us know where we're supposed to sit, we know the answers to the questions, Jesus, right? We know how to fit in, we know how to make our way through it, but we know the person of Christ, and the question is, do you know the power of Christ as Savior? Do you understand he's not just a good guy, that he's God? Do you truly understand that he is the hope for your life? Because as I watch the enemy tear churches apart, as I watch the enemy destroy believers and destroy fellowship, and as we collectively continue to watch the enemy take students and pull them away from their faith, the question is, we don't really know what we believe or why we believe it. No wonder he's able to have so much success. John goes on in verse four, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that has overcome the world. There's a linchpin here. There's a word that connects two pieces of this verse. Whatever is born of God, notice this, overcomes the world. That seems like something you would want to be able to do, right? And yet he's lynching it. What is it? What is it that overcomes the world? This is the victory that has overcome the world. What is it? It's this word right here, our faith. 
You might could circle that word and draw a little arrow out and say, that's, that's my belief. It's do I have a right belief to begin with? Do I have a right understanding of who this God is? If I'm going to overcome the world, if I'm going to find victory against the things of the world, I've got to have a right faith. Who is the one in this question It overcomes the world? Is it the one that believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Great question. And I would tell you, those today that believe that God's word is burdensome, those who would preach that God's word is out of date, that's not applicable, those who declare that God is not fair, that he is asking you to do something that is impossible, that he's asking you to live out a life and give up things, that that's not fair. They ultimately do those things because they don't have a foundational truth of who God is to begin with. Those who push for a rejection of the truth of God do so because they don't understand the foundational component of what it means to have a right belief and a right understanding from the start. When I played football, we used to start practice every day with something called tackling stations. They're, they're like the cruelest invention ever. I hated them. Here's what I was really good at. I wasn't good at tackling stations. I was, I was a master at getting out of tackling stations. I have a cleat that was broken. Gotta tie my shoe. Need to run see the trainer. Need to run back in and go to the bathroom, something. Anything to get out of these circuits, these 30 minutes of just rotating between one circuit after another. And then there was this moment in my life where everything radically changed because here I came truth to truth, with, face to face with this huge truth. I realized one day that girls don't pay attention to the football game. This was news to me. Here's what I learned. I learned that the girls in the stands only paid attention to whose name was called over the speaker. That's all they knew. And I knew that you get your name called over the speaker two ways. You either score a touchdown or you stop a touchdown. Guess what? I got really good at tackling circuits all of a sudden. I started taking those things so serious. There was a foundational truth that I wanted to be a part of. And the reality for us this morning in the exact same way, you will never value Christ. You will never value the things of Christ. You will never value following Christ if you don't have a right belief to begin with. If you don't share this belief that Jesus came to earth in the form of man, that he's lived a sinless life, that he died a sinless death, but that he didn't stay dead, he conquered de death, and one day soon he is coming back again. You will never live in obedience to God if you believe he was just a good guy who lived, if you just believe he's a character who lived, if you just believe he is church, he is just a ritual and routine called religion, and your belief about all of those things will go a long ways in determining whether or not you will live a life in obedience to those things. Verse six says, this is the one who came by water and by blood. This is a big truth here. He's saying water and blood, born of man, sent by God, Jesus Christ, not just man alone, but with the water and the blood. This is significant. This is a huge piece because what, what, what John is unpacking here is that there are some things about the, the, who Jesus is. He was sent by God, yet he was born of man. Mary, Joseph, Bethlehem, I'll take you. I'll take you to, to Israel in December. I'll show you the spot. That, that spot really happened, right? We all know that story. But he was also sent by Jesus. It's those two things that made him different than every other God that's been on the earth because that's what made him eligible to be your sacrifice in the first place. But then 
He lived a sinless life and he died, but it wasn't his death that was significant. Other people had died. It was that he had defeated death, providing for you and me a way to be saved. And you say, man, what does a right belief look like? How do I know that that is true? How do I know that I believe that to be true? How do I know that he is the way, the only way? He is the only savior. How do I know that he lived a sinless life? Because it says it right here. It is the spirit who testifies to these things. And the Spirit is saying these things, and the Spirit is the truth. And if you're tracking this morning and you would say, man, I want to make sure I have a right belief. I want to make sure I'm I'm understanding those things. What does a right belief look like? I would tell you a right belief starts right here. That what God is doing is saying, hey, you've got to believe me. The things that I've said are true. You've got to believe that, my, that I was in the world through the person of Jesus, not counting your sins against you, but reconciling the world back to myself. And you've got to believe that I then took my only son, my sinless son, and I placed him on the cross as the payment for your sin, as the penalty for your sin, as the propitiation, as the substitutionary death for you and any thought or theory or belief system out there that doesn't center on God's sin-bearing love through the person of Jesus for you is flawed, it's dangerous, and ultimately it will lead to your death. To say, you've got to get your belief right. And if this morning you would say, man, I, I don't know that I have that belief. What does that process look like? It looks like stopping by Trailhead on your way out. We'd love to talk to you. It looks like dropping a message in the chat just saying, hey, can I just talk to a pastor? It looks like just meeting me right down here afterwards and saying, hey, I've got some questions. Because everything is foundational to our belief. It starts, do you know today what you believe and why you believe it? We have to have a right belief because it is a right belief that ultimately produces a right love. This right belief, when we understand who Jesus is, when we understand who he is, when we believe Jesus to be who he says he is and to do the things he said he did, then what we understand is that this individual went and died on the cross for us and that's an unbelievable example of love. And as a result, we then want to live out that love back to God, thanking him for that and to live with that same love to the people that Christ has placed around us. It is the love of Christ that then compels us to live with the love for others. We go back to verse one. It says, whoever loves the father loves the child born of him. You cannot love God and then say, I'm gonna choose to reject living in obedience to his commands and I'm gonna choose to reject living with a love for those around us. Rather, it is that love from God, is that internal love that we understand from God that then is just manifested in its external love for others. But it's not only that, because whoever loves the father loves the child, and then we get this phrase, by this, what is this? It's love, by this, by this love for the father. This is how we know that we love the children of God. How? Well, look, when we love God and we live in observance to his commands, how does someone know that you love Jesus Christ? Well, you live like it. How does someone know that you love the Father? You live in obedience to the commands in the same way that a child lives out in obedience to the commands of their parent because they love them and they see how much their parent loves them. It's the same thing here. The proof that we love God is demonstrated in how we 
love God through our interactions with those around us. And we've got a unique situation in our family. Eight and a half years ago, we started an experiment. How many rooms in our house could we not live in, okay? So when we moved here, I told the realtor, I was like, I need like a two bed, two bath, but like 3,000 square foot house because I live with all women, you know? I need some space. They make those here. But here's how it started. Our girls got ready to move from their crib to their big girl bed. My girls are a year apart. I get it, I know, you don't have to tell me, okay? And we did all the things. We built the bed, took the pictures. It was amazing. She slept in there. Our youngest slept in her crib. About six months later, I'm ready to go to my big girl bed. Great, built another big girl bed. We tucked them both in, it was awesome. We're getting ready to go down the stairs and we hear this like, hey, could we sleep in the same room tonight? Sure, let me disassemble the bed. Move it all the way over here to this room. We take new pictures, here they are. It'll last one whole night, we told ourselves. They're 10 and 11, still sharing a room. And if you know my girls, they're a hoot. They love each other, like to a point where it's like enough. I mean, we dig through their backpacks. We find little notes that they wrote to each other. Their walls are full of notes where they, I love my sister. Yesterday, our oldest did a babysitting class and it about broke my youngest. When do we get to pick her up? When is she coming home? We tuck them in at night. They then lay in bed for hours talking. They read to each other. It's like, get a room, you two. Well, they are, I mean, I guess. They love each other. If you have ever given one of my children something, I bet you that they said, hey, can I have a second for my sister? But they truly love each other. And you see that in every single thing they do. My youngest is playing up in sports often because she just wants to be on the team with her sister. You see, our love and that manifestation through obedience to that love, it should be inseparable. And we shouldn't try to live any other way. We shouldn't try to live with this understanding over here, but not this obedience over here. If we truly love God, if we truly live, and if we truly love him, then we will live in obedience to him. This right belief, I believe Jesus is who he says he is. They did the things he said he did. I believe those things. As a result, I recognize how much Jesus loves me. And as a result, I wanna love him back and love those he's placed around me. A right belief leads to a right love and a right love produces a right life. A person today who believes that Jesus is King of Kings, that he is Lord of Lords, that he is the Messiah, a person who believes that he is the only way, he is the only hope, a person who anchors all of their hope and all of their soul right there will then live a life that impacts it. If you believe today that Jesus Christ is your only hope, if you are all in on him, then that impacts where you go, what you do, what you say, how you live, how you spend your money, how you structure your calendar. If you are all in on Christ, it's reflected in the things that you do. And some of you know this on the most practical level ever because some of you are fans of the professional football team here in Denver. And some of you love the Broncos so much that you talk so much trash to me when I moved here about how much better the Broncos were than the Texans. And then all they did was win one more game. So check this out, the Broncos won three full games Three, then this is, we gotta copy this model. Somehow they convinced you they needed to raise ticket prices. Like that was the problem. 
And you guys were like, mm, mortgage the Hyundai, baby. Let's go, get the tickets. I mean, just, that's what we gotta do. Gotta support them. And, and you were like, this is the year. We got Sean Payton. And the reality is your record and Russell Wilson's height will probably be about the same, five and 11, you know? It's just what, it's just what it'll, 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 it's what it'll be, you know? But that doesn't bother you, does it? You're all in. I saw more Broncos tattoos this morning taunting me on the way out the door in the first service. I said, everybody makes mistakes, sin is real. <laughs> but look, just because I didn't pick on your team, it's the same way. Why do people do that? Because fan is short for fanatic. You are bought in, you are sold out, you are all in. That's why you believe this is the year. That's why you believe he's the missing piece. That's why you believe this is it, because you are all in. And we live and we die by that. And can I just ask you a question this morning? Then how much more should we be that way for Jesus? How much more should we say, if he is my hope and I believe that he is the way and he is the hope and I believe one day soon he's coming back, then why shouldn't I have a life that is so bought in and is so sold out to him? And I get how hard it is. And I get how difficult it is. But there's a huge piece that's playing out right here. Verse three. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. I love that. You see, loving Christ comes simply this byproduct of obedience and love. They're together. It's part of loving God. And then ultimately what's happening is our actions are just proving God to be true. If we go to verse 10, it says, the one who believes in the son of God has this testimony in himself. Sadly, the one who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar. It's a significant piece because he who has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning him, son. This is a huge thought. We're not about to unpack it. I'm gonna drill down to like the greatest common denominator and we're gonna move on. But all John is saying is this. He's saying, you can't say, I believe the truth of God's word, but I'm gonna reject living in obedience to God. He's basically saying today that if you would come and you would say, you know, I believe scripture. I believe what God is calling me to do. I believe in the person of Christ. There's even been times in my life where I have taken this and I've hidden his word in my heart and I've done those things. But today I am rejecting living in obedience to the commands of Christ. What John is saying is you're just making God to look like a liar. And he hits us with this huge truth. If you take nothing away, I hope you would take this away. He says, hey, look, when it boils down to it, he is either Lord of all or he's not your Lord at all. And I, I get that that's hard to hear this morning because for some of you, sin is wrecking your life and you so badly wanna give God all, all your faithfulness, all your obedience and it's hard. For some of you, God is calling you to take a step that makes no sense. You're like, that's hard, God, you want all? I don't get it, I can't, even, I can't even see where the next step is gonna be. And he's saying, just take this leap, just trust me. And you're like, could you just tell me a little bit about how it's gonna work out? I, I wanna give you all, but it's so hard. You're calling me to do this huge thing or this big thing or my flesh is pulling me one way. And it's this hard, hard piece, but I'll tell you this. A right belief leads to a right love. A, light, a right love produces a right life. And all of those things are possible. Here's why, because he's the right savior. And even though you can't see how it's gonna work out, it does because he's the right savior. He is the space that we anchor our souls. He's where we anchor our lives. 
It's possible because he's not an option, he's the option. And we see it in verse 11. The testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life. And I really don't want you to miss this here. And this life is, notice this right here, in his son. It's the only place. All the things of the world that you may be trying to anchor today, it says, no, no, the only hope for this life is in his son. He who has the son has the life. It's so simple. There's only one place. And he who does not have the son of God does not have the life. Um, just in full transparency, have you ever had someone ask you something and you know your body reaction gave away the real answer, but your words were different, right? You know, when, when Kurt asked me to preach Father's Day, I, I, I wasn't thrilled. Um, I immediately knew, you know, Father's Day. Most of you know our story, but we're coming up on two years, 7, 14, 21. It's the day my dad just suddenly passed away. That's it. And what's crazy is Father's Day used to be so easy to preach. I remember the first Father's Day I was asked to preach. I was a kid's pastor. And I told my pastor, I said, I'm not a dad. How, what do you want me to do? He said, yeah, but you got a great one. And I did. My dad was the greatest source of earthly wisdom, knowledge I, I've ever met. Wednesday, we left the girls' softball game and I was so frustrated. It's just a whole nother story. I looked at my wife and I said, I just wanna call my dad. And you know, for so much of our life, that's where I hung out with my dad. I'm the oldest of four, one of three boys. We all played college football because we wanted to be just like dad. Cool story, my dad spent a season with the Houston Oilers. He got to block for Earl Campbell, that was really cool. And as only God can orchestrate things, in 1980, my dad was traded. Where? To the Denver Broncos. <laughs> you believe that? I have the folder from Denver Broncos training camp, 1980, in my office. Sports was so much of our life. I tried to come up with a rough calculation. I couldn't even get close. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours spent on a sports field or a court. My dad taught me everything. You name a sport, I played it, my dad coached it. My dad taught me how to dribble. My dad taught me how to shoot. My dad taught me how to hit a baseball. Those of you know that moment where you finally learn how to throw a curveball. my dad taught me that. And finally, when I was in seventh grade, my dad began teaching me the sport I fell in love with, football. But you see, on 7, 14, 21, my whole family was broken. Life made no sense. And all those things where I had anchored hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours, guess what? They did me no good. As I watched my mom just be so broken and grieved, like I couldn't just go out in the driveway and hit a big shot and everything would be okay, even though I can do those things. 
I couldn't just go to the park and, and hit a big shot down the line or, or get a strikeout. I couldn't go to the football stadium and make a game-winning tackle and everything for my family would be okay. But thankfully, when I was 10 years old, my dad set me down in the corner of his bed and he introduced me to a right savior named Jesus. And he said, you're a sinner forever separated from Christ. But Christ can come into your life and forgive you of your sin. And he can make all things new. And you see, that's why I have hope today. That's why I have peace today. That's why I would say yes to speaking today. Because I have a hope that is anchored not in the things of this world, but I have a hope that is anchored in the right savior. And ultimately I have the greatest hope and the greatest peace today because my dad had a relationship with the right savior. And the moment my dad left this earth, he got the greatest gift ever, which was to step into the holy presence of God Almighty. And what an unbelievable scene that should have been. And I'll just tell you today, if you're attempting to anchor your life in anything other than Christ, it's going to be empty and it's going to let you down. He's not a character. He is the Christ. He's not religion. He is a personal relationship. He's not just this good guy who walked the earth. He's a perfect God. Do you have him as right savior today because I just got to tell you this, your answer to that question can forever change your life. And maybe you would just sit with that and you would just wrestle with that for just a moment as I pray. Father, thank you for being good. Thank you for being all the things that we as earthly dads can't be. I recognize that on Father's Day, sometimes for us, we, we paint you as Heavenly Father, but I recognize my life had an unfair advantage because I had such a great earthly dad. And I know that there are people in this room this morning who didn't have that. And it can be hard for us to see you as Father. I pray for those situations right now, God, that you would just tend to them, that you would just be real, that you would just be present right there. God, I pray for the one who would say, you know, I, I don't know what my belief is. But Lord, you would just give them a courage to just walk the trailhead, to just speak to someone this morning. Father, how thankful I am that you've loved us, that you've redeemed us you restore us. Lord, that we would anchor all of our hearts and all of our souls there in faithful obedience to you. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen.